And coming up, here's Gene Shepard. kitchen sink. <laughs> Lots of fun, unusual gift. We supply equipment, instructions, a liberal amount of sand, I'll bet, containing gold. You supply a little water, you can pan gold in your kitchen sink. Oh my God, where would it ever end? Bring uh, it up, please, would you hurt? Thank you. By the way, uh, since uh, the, you know this is kind of a new year yet, it'll be new. I'd say that the new, the year will be new to most of us till. Uh, would you guess about the middle of July, roughly? And you will accept 1973 as an official year. That's right. And uh, you'll you'll actually start writing it on the checks and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> I'll tell you. So so the craziest things though. I the other day. You know, this this whole business of time really, really, uh, you know, makes guys' mind turn to cottage cheese. Uh, like the other day, I, a guy gave me a check, see? And uh, and I, uh, you know, I just deposited it in the bank, you know, just like with a couple other checks. And uh, a couple of days later, I get a call from the bank, and I said, uh, hey, there's something funny with this check. And I said, what? I said, well, we'll send it. You can take a look at it. And the check comes back to me. You know, that I had deposited. So those are other guy's check. And it said on there, on a check, it said December 2nd, 1956. And I said, what the hell? December 2nd, 1956? And they had circled it, you know. So I called the guy up. And I said, uh, hey, uh, you know, you wrote December 2nd, 1956 on a check here. And uh, while I have nothing against that year or that day, Particularly, it's a kind of an unusual thing to write on a check that you just gave me, you know, like a couple of months ago. And he said, uh, doggone it. You know, that kind of, doggone it. And I said, what's the matter, Harold? He says, doggone it, did I do that again? I said, well, I guess you did do it again. I said, why, do you do this often? He said, well, it isn't always 1956. Sometimes it's 1958 I write on checks. 
I said, uh, you know, what, what made this guy's inner clock, whatever it is, you know, the inner clock we have, what made him stop in 1956? I mean, uh, I wonder what, what, what happened, you know, if you take the average guy who's sound asleep, see, and he's laying there, and his mind is uh, way out in lower Slavobia or upper Tibet or someplace, you know, and he's lying there and he's asleep. And you shake him real hard. You say, hey, quick, 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 quick. What year is it? What time? What year is it? 1961. And <laughs> I'm just curious, uh, you know, what, where your mind stops like that. But, uh, you know, it's all, it's all part of the uh, confusion of the day. Uh, you know, there's a confusion that's uh, always rampant. But it's uh, even more rampant today due to the multiplicity of media and uh, the multiplicity of... Uh, Event the compiling systems. How you like that? I'm, you see, it's all part of my the new shepherd. You know, where you use uh, you know really, really deep, penetrating phrases. The multiplicity of uh, event compiling media. You realize what an event compiling media is? Well, that's your wristwatch. It compiles the number of hours that have transpired since uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, all kinds of trick words you can work out that make you sound very intelligent, uh, and that's not easy with many of us. You know, fakery is part of the game of life. You know, speaking of games, uh, uh, here recently we did a little thing on uh, you know the the significance of games. That games uh, uh, often tell about the uh, the tenor of the times far more than the real things that people do. In fact, there's a well developed theory along that. One of the reasons why football is so fantastically popular in our day and age is because this is a violent day, and uh, football is only part of the violence of our time. And this is, uh, you know, this can be this can be paralleled with other times when fantastically violent games were popular during violent periods. For example, feeding the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum—that was a pretty exciting afternoon. And uh, if you went out there and got a program, you know, we're cheering the lions or the Christians, depending on, you know, whether you're an animal cuckoo or not. I suspect most of the animal cuckoos would have been cheering the lions, you know. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, the fact is that that was a pretty violent time. I mean, the, the Romans uh, were, were, were pretty good at clobbering heads in many different directions in their day. So uh, violent sports tend to follow violent times. And, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, have you noticed that the, the only time we, uh, we, you know, everybody's really hip on chess is when we have a chess player that don't act like a chess player. You know, he, he psychs his opponent out and he blows his nose loudly whenever the guy's about to make a move. Uh, <laughs> as soon as it looks like he's getting trapped, he says, I quit, I quit, take the TV cameras out, that's not, you know. In other words, it's all, it's all flim-flammery. That's what uh, gets the people, not the game of chess. But that reminds me, you know, the couple of months back when uh, when uh, Bobby won this uh, world title, there was a fantastic upsurge of interest in buying chess chess uh, sets. I wonder how many chess sets have lain unused after the first flurry of excitement. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's packed down there with all the un uh, unfinished uh, uh, amplifier kits, which were purchased from Heath at one time. And uh, all the unfinished uh, model airplanes that never got finished. You know, you finished the uh, half of the body, and uh, there it is. You know, the plans and the, what the other half is still pinned to the board, and uh, it's uh, down in the basement there, or in the closet. Hey, that reminds me. Speaking of the basement, 
Uh, we're, yeah, the, tonight's uh, subject is the basement. If you don't mind, I'll give you a warning. Hey, there's a note up there. It says uh, we have a commercial for beech nut. What is this, beech nut chewing tobacco? Is it? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we did have one? You know, it opens up. Uh, give you a little echo chamber. I could just see doing a great, not yet, uh, doing a great commercial for beech nut chewing tobacco, you know. It starts like this. Yes, the most accurate man in your crowd. Choose beech nut. Watch for beech nut at the sound of pitui. Thank you. Uh, let's hit the real beech nut spot, Herb. This is Fred walking into his favorite drugstore. Hi, Fred. Hello, Steve. How's everything going? Pretty good. Fifty-four years ago, Fred's grandfather bought him his first roll of Lifesavers. Take out for two, Steve. And now he's doing the same. Nostalgia for over Lifesavers. His grandson. Here you are, Freddy. Peppermint. Gee, thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> Grandsons are why grandfathers should always buy plenty of Lifesavers. Lifesavers. Savers is a registered trademark. Yeah, yeah. You can't go around indiscriminately hollering lifesaver. You know, you get on that all that patent stuff. Yes, sir. Beach nut, it says. Is that, is that what that was? That's very nice. <laughs> Nostalgia is creeping in everywhere. Eighty-seven years ago, Clarence bought his first flyswatter, and now he is buying a flyswatter for his grand... Uh, we have a note here. Uh, somebody says, Shepard, you're right about games. He said, have you seen the newest uh, fantastic games? Bambergers has a collection of them. Here's a game, for example, you can play today called Beat Detroit. It says if you travel 50,000 miles on $7,000 before your car falls apart, you've beat Detroit. Each player begins in the car dealership with a new car. You know, when you start out, you each get a new car. $7,000 in the funny money and a warranty. But, as it is in real life, the odds are well stacked against anyone beating the system. With a lot of luck and a minimum of skill, you can prevent yourself from being the victim of many obstacles that await you on your trip. See, the important thing is a minimum of skill. Very few people want to play a game that requires a maximum of skill and a minimum of luck. <laughs> it would show up too many real... You know, that's true. A lot of people gave up playing Scrabble because they discovered they were dumb. Oh, wow. You know, they did. And, uh, not much luck in, in, in winning a game of that. And, uh, for that reason, a lot of people have permanently given up, and now they're playing this game, this great new game from Bambergers called Lie, Cheat, and Steal. And, uh, yeah, that's the name of the game. It says, in this tongue-in-cheek political game, it is possible to win by playing scrupulously honest or by cheating shamelessly. You win by accumulating money and buying votes. <laughs> Uh, whether you take just that which is due to you, or perhaps cheat a little, is entirely up to you. But don't get caught, or you're likely to spend some time in jail. Well, of course, that deviates from real life, right there. I mean, very few politicians that are cheating on the, you know, buying votes. I never heard of a, you know, guy 
But uh, nevertheless, that's a typical game of our time. No, I'm not inventing lie, cheat, and steal. Or how would you like to play airport? Airport. It says, uh, run your own airline with a unique game about one of today's largest industries. Workers go on strike. Flights are grounded by bad weather. A computer breakdown causes reservation mix-up. And a hijacker forces a Florida-bound flight to make an unscheduled stop in Cuba. An, incre- uh, an intriguing game of the actual intricacies involved in the operation of an airline. First one that makes a million bucks wins. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a, it's all a spin-off, you know, real life. Uh, by the way, if, if you're... Uh, it's a spin-off, sure. Uh, uh, for those of you who are fans of uh, slob art, you can now buy a talking toilet. Is a wide, yes, it says a wildest party idea of the year. When a guest sits on your, quote, John seat, a laughing voice says, Ho, 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 hey, I'm down here. Ho, ho, ho. Woo. And then they jump up and run out and get all excited, apparently. That's what it says. You can also buy an exploding John now. Did you know that? You load it up with little little caps, you know, like caps on the cap gun, you know. And uh, when the, the John is used, there's a loud explosion causing uh, excitement and confusion and merriment among the observers. And uh, that's, uh, that's all. <laughs> Where will it ever end? Well, that's the point. It won't. Yeah, that's right. That's called exploding John seat. Makes them jump. Loaded with paper caps. Slightest pressure sets it off and can be used anywhere. Comes with a complete uh, imitation leopard skin carrying case. So you can carry it around, you know, and load up your friends, John. It's only $1.95. Yes, sir. You can buy uh, chest hair now, which is number 2172 in the Johnson & Smith catalog. If uh, nature forgot you, simply press on this chest piece. Chest piece for a dollar chest. It goes right on you, you know. you got a bald chest. Well, I'm, I'm not the... I'm sorry. Uh, it's just a hunting crossbow. 80 pounds of force. Easy for beginners and silent. You know what a hunting crossbow is. You know what a... That's all Johnson & Smith. Big ear, electronic sound collector, 18-inch parabolic ear, works on one-volt transistor battery, a one-transistor battery on a 40-inch tripod. Set it up and listen to everybody in the neighborhood there. Have all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and you've got to blow up rubber chicken, too. This is W.O.R. Speaking of rubber chickens, W.O.R. in New York. And we have another little goody to lay on you. And it's a goody-goody. It's a goody-goody-longy-goody. Hit it there. Unforgettable. Are you a Nat King Cole fan? Then listen to this great money-saving offer. The Longines Symphonette Society has just put together a beautiful seven-record treasury with 70 of Nat King Cole's most unforgettable recordings. All of his great hits are here. Tenderly. Caress the trees. Tenderly. Ramblin' Roads. Ramblin' Roads. I remember you. And of course, Sweet Lorraine. Now I've just found joy. Hit after hit by the incomparable Nat King Cole. And here's one I'm sure is a favorite. Roll out, go lazy, hazy, crazy. And this great Nat Cole classic. Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa men have named you. You'll also get Stardust. At last, 
and his wonderfully touching Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Now thousands have already sent for this collection at $14.95. But if you act right now, you'll get all seven records, 70 Nat King Cole hits for just $9.95. Also available on five eight-track tapes for just $16.95. And they're sold on a complete money-back guarantee from the Longines Symphonette Society. Act right now. Call Murray Hill 72552. That's MU 72552. Or write to Nat King Cole, Box 16, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's Nat King Cole, Box 16, Grand Central Station, New York City. Zip 117. When the postman delivers your records, pay him $9.95 plus COD charges. Or $60.95 plus COD charges for tapes. That number again is MU 72552. MU seven two five five two. Yes, uh, that's uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, the best of K Kaiser. Retrospective album. Yeah, when will all that stop? That uh, you know that uh, nostalgia stuff. It just never seems to stop. You know. You know, can't you imagine the complete works of Sammy Kay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can. I mean, I, I could picture anything. It's just, you know, as, I think, you know, you know, I wonder whether or not the devil is behind all this. Oh, that's a, the, you know, there's a theory that, the, that's right, the demonology, the devil theory is uh, is very prevalent these days. And the devil works in mysterious ways, as, as uh, we all know. And if the devil were to come, you know, and insert in your brain an idea that you'd like to buy, uh, you know, 400 volumes uh, featuring the best of Tommy Tucker's band uh, with an additional extra bonus volume of, uh, you know, the, the best of Blue Baron. And if, uh, if somebody, uh, if, if, if the devil inserted that in your head, you, you realize. <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> Are you thinking about that? <laughs> well, you could realize that the, that that means that the civilization that we as we know it is slowly crumbling, and uh, and uh, you know it, uh, <laughs> to the point now where where uh, you know it's it's hard to tell the, the real from the true and the true from the real and the unreal from the unreal and all the way down the line. But uh, if the devil had done that to you. I mean, how would you know it? You wouldn't know it. See, the devil doesn't come and talk in your ear and say, hey, this is the devil. Hey, this is the devil. How would you like to have uh, a retrospective Blue Baron album, huh? That's what you need with the Don Brown and the two, three two-timers uh, singing Roll Out the Barrel. That's a fantastic collector's item. Well, uh, the devil does speak in many different tongues, and uh, the most subtle of all the tongues is the uh, is the one... That uh, that speaks to you, uh, and, and of course in a forked tongue, I must say, that speaks to you of uh, various wants that you think you have. You know, you're walking down the street, and uh, suddenly the devil says, "Hey, how would you like to have a hand-painted turtle? A hand-painted turtle with a skyline of Manhattan, with the signature of John Lindsay on it." Well. Uh, you can you, you don't know the devil is saying that to you. All of a sudden, you're walking past and you get this terrible desire to own a hand painted turtle. And uh, <laughs> now, don't laugh 
Don't laugh. Did I ever tell you about the, the turtle painter I met? I actually talked to and met and discussed the turtle painter. You know, discussed his, uh, his frustrations with his chosen uh, career. That right up, uh, yes. Uh, well, of course you can't really say a man chooses his career, especially if it's painting turtles. Uh, I think it's a, it's a call that comes to you. You know, it's a great calling. Uh, I'm sure that uh, that Picasso did not uh, choose his career. His career chose him, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's a it's a call. It's a, it's a call, and uh, most of us uh, have a call of one kind or another uh, in our lives. And uh, it may be a measly call. You know, the call says, uh, you are going to be the best Neatswood oil salesman in Bergen County. And uh, you go out and start peddling Neatswood oil, and you have a fantastic talent for it. Due to the fact you have a call, you're motivated, beyond just a guy that gets a job through a want ad. And, uh, yes, you want to have the entire, you want to have the entire neighborhood soaked in Neatswood oil before you're through. That will be your... Your, your final monument. You know what is it? Needs foot oil? You don't. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your life much one way or the other. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We sportsmen know what needs foot oil is. But you hothouse flowers wouldn't understand that. No. That's right. That's, that's just true. You see, this, that's, that's what I mean about the separation, again, the dissemination of, of, uh, of uh, material. That uh, our lives are so splintered today that I mentioned needs with oil. Five hundred guys jump up and say, "Oh my God, needs with oil! Great, yeah." I wish I had some. You know, my my fielder's mitt is getting getting out of condition, and the other twelve thousand say, "Needs with oil." He made that up. Isn't that a funny name? So there you go. You know, and I don't. Uh, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't resent it. Uh, the splinterization of our world. It must have always been that way, one way or another. And it's getting. Uh, you know, it's, we're just getting more uh, naturally attuned to it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, uh, the the devil uh, speaks in many ways, and uh, it speaks uh, in many tongues. And as I said, uh, that when you were walking around and uh, looking at the world, you don't know whether the devil is motivating you to do that. Now, uh, how many guys have gone out and bought another car when they got when they got a great car? See, the car it's working great. They've had it like you know for three or four years. The car is great. They're getting twenty eight miles a gallon. Haven't burned any oil, you know, since 1969, and uh, you know, <laughs> and that's running on the original set of plugs. And uh, what makes him go out and get another one, which has the new silly putty transmission in it, comes with the new uh, balsa wood frame, and uh, within three days he knows that uh, it's been, you know, it's a total uh, fiasco. Why? But what made him buy it? You think advertising did it? Advertising's been around for a long time. No. Could it be it's the devil? That's right. It comes, hey, look at that new wraparound windshield. <laughs> Maybe it's the devil. <laughs> I think it's, you know, the devil is what causes the discontent in people's lives. Uh, you know, the, the devil keeps saying, hey, listen, you know, you settled for that chick. My God, you, re you have no idea what you're missing. You want to see that? You know the, the, the fat one down there in the uh, steno pool? That's the one. Wow. And, of course, the devil is telling you these things, but you, he, never, he never comes right out and sits there and has coffee with you, you know, and asks you to sign a charter or, uh, you know, stick a pin in your finger and sign it in blood. That's all metaphysical, you know. That's all abstract. 
So, uh, you know, I, in fact, uh, I was uh, the first truly frustrated artist that I've ever known. Uh, I mean, truly, and, and he was really frustrated. Was, uh, you know, there's a, there's a myth about the frustrated artists. I've known a lot of artists in my time, and not many of them are frustrated. A lot of them are mad at their agent, and uh, a lot of them are bugged at the gallery, or they're TO'd. You know, they're really bugged. They're, they're, they're really ticked off, you know, because of their publisher, that kind of stuff. But the frustrated, not too often. Uh, but I did meet a real frustrated artist. Do you, re- you know this place up here on Broadway uh, where they sell uh, the fake headlines, you know, uh, caught in panty raid, <laughs> you know, that kind of real <laughs> I didn't think they even used freight. But there, I saw a headline the other day right in Broadway. It's supposed to be a very hip place. You know, it says, uh, you just fill in your name. It says, uh, Charlie Grumbach. Uh, caught in panty raid in Manhattan and that kind of stuff. You've seen those headlines. Well, that same place, you know, they have in there, they have uh, slot machines. They have these all kinds of games where you you uh, test your love power. You've seen those. You grab the handles. You put in a quarter or something. It used to be a nickel. Now it's a quarter, see? Test your love power. And uh, you grab these handles, and it goes up to the top, or it says nothing. Forget it. Uh, become a uh, Franciscan monk. Uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and so up and down the line, you know, uh, you've seen, you've been in this place. Well, they used to have a guy, where he is, I don't know now. But uh, I don't know, that's uh, something bad in my head tonight. So it's probably the devil speaking through me again. But, uh, oh, uh, well, let's see, we've done the, oh, before we go any further, uh, I'm uh, taking the side of the devil here tonight. And I'd like to recommend that if you're going to come into town and you'd like to have some Chinese food cooked in the uh, the inimitable, uh, inscrutable, sinister style of the Chinese, it is. This is, this is the kind of stuff that that, uh, that Fu Manchu would have really flipped over. Really great. In fact, he used to eat here years ago when he was taking his undergraduate work at Columbia. He did, you know. D- Dr. Fu Manchu studied at Columbia for a while. He studied fungiology. Did you know that? Yeah, he's a fungiologist. Fungi, man. And he was the first guy that worked out a, a fantastic spore. Uh, he, you know, it had a lot of cross-pollinization went into that. And he he created out of a very rare spore uh, a, uh, a, uh, no, a, a strain of man-eating fungi, fungus. A fungus is one, fungi, or fungi is, a, you know, the plural. Yes, that's right. Uh, it sounds like a bad Italian word, but uh, nevertheless, uh, he he created these man-eating uh, funguses, fungi, and uh, this was uh, he did this as his uh, Ph.D. thesis, by the way. And uh, while he was studying at Columbia, he used to eat at the House of Chan a lot. It's at Fifty uh, Second Street, Seventh Avenue, and you just come in there and ask for the uh, food special. It's fantastic. Make your nose sweat. And uh, it's on the corner of 52nd and 7th Avenues right here in town. And they're open seven days a week. It's a great restaurant. They have a nice little barzy there. You can come in and have a drinky poo. And, uh, you know, by the way, this is the devil speak at the now. <laughs> they have a little drinky poo. And they have a special uh, a special uh, uh, cocktail hour there when you come in and have Chinese hors d'oeuvres. Isn't that hors d'oeuvre a French word? That's correct. Uh, Chinese hors d'oeuvres, a very strange thing. You know, sweet and sour soup, crepe Suzettes and various things like that. But uh, you'll like it. It's a sinister place. It's uh, the House of Chan, 52nd Street at 7th Avenue. 
But uh, you know, to return to the uh, somewhat uh, uh, wandering narrative here, I was uh, going up. I just just come to New York. See, this is one of the one of the first things that opened my eyes. That uh, if uh, if you're a famous man, uh, you, uh, you 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 necessarily uh, your work does not necessarily make you famous, although your work may be famous. Uh, this is a tragic truth. Uh, it is. It's a tragic truth that many uh, guys who have created great masterpieces are not known to the public at large. For example. Uh, how many of you know the name of the man who actually designed the famous Model A Ford? Great cra classic creation. But there was one guy that did it. That's right. See, there you go. That's an example of what I mean. And, and th this is the kind of thing that makes a guy go to his grave bitter. Uh, you know, very bitter. Well, yes, indeed. Because uh, some guy, you know, designed some little dinky thing, gets on the Johnny Carson show. It's a little horn that goes, oh! Within five minutes, the guy's famous. Everybody's cheering him, and they're making a movie of his life. And uh, but uh, other other guys, unsung, uh, heroic, uh, usually very stoical people, uh, solid and uh, brave. And uh, one day, I just in New York. See, I'm li my neighborhood, by the way, was Times Square. I lived, you know, I lived in Times Square. I lived in this flea bag over on 49th Street, and uh, it was actually called that. Oh, they used the French phrase for flea and the French phrase for baggy. Uh, it was a, yeah, it was a, a flea bag. That's what it translated into as French. And uh, it was over on 49th Street, now since defunct and uh, unloved, unwept. Everybody's glad it's gone. Uh, the rats, you know, used to live down. All, and the entire first floor was occupied by the rats. The second floor of the uh, hotel was entirely occupied by bed bugs and cockroaches. They'd given it up. And they moved the people higher and higher, see. And until uh, finally, you know, I was way up on the 14th floor, and I've discovered that uh, cockroaches don't breathe well above the 14th floor. At least if they have a choice, they don't go that high. But uh, there was a rare form of, uh, of caterpillar that did make it up to that place. And my walls were covered with caterpillars in the summertime. Uh, yeah, and little green things would bite like hell, too, I might add. And they loved it up there. Uh, so they finally knocked that hotel down. I can just see what happened when that thing fell into a cloud of dust and all the rats and the cockroaches and everything took off. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, I was living in Times Square, so I got to know Times Square intimately. And, uh, you know, the midnight cowboy scene is a scene that I knew very well. And so one night I'm, I'm walking along Broadway. It's a neighborhood, you know. And uh, I'm walking along Broadway up around uh, oh, the uh, late 40s there, around 48th, something like that. And this is that place, you know, where they have the uh, fake headlines in the window, and you can go in and get all that stuff done. You can get the Lord's Prayer made on a penny in a machine. You've been in that place, Bill? Have you seen that place up there where all that stuff is? Well, right in the window, they had a tank at that time. And uh, the tank, big tank, see, and uh, it was full of sort of greenish water and rocks. And the tank was about, well, it wasn't full. It was about uh, three-quarters filled and the big rocks and stuff in there. And it looked like an aquarium, but it, re it really wasn't because it didn't have any fish in it. What it had in it was turtles. It had about, uh, oh, you know, well, maybe two or three hundred turtles. They were all about the size of a quarter. You know those little turtles? And uh, they were fantastic turtles. They were all painted. Now, for example, you could get a, a view of Broadway looking south and uh, on, on the back of the turtle. And uh, then there was another turtle swimming next to him, a view of Broadway looking north. 
uh, you could get you get a picture of the Empire State Building in full color. These are all beautiful colors on the back of the turtles. And uh, on each turtle, in little gold leaf, it said, Souvenir of Fun City, New York. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of nice. There were all these turtles walking around in there. So I, I couldn't help but, uh, but be uh, impressed. Because also in those days, since I was living in this flea bag and had roughly, oh, eight, nine cents a week to spend on light things like entertainment, uh, I found my entertainment where I could find it. Uh, usually free, looking in the window at something, see? So I'm looking in the window watching these turtles swim around in there, and I notice uh, in back of the turtle stand there where the turtle uh, aquarium was, there was a desk back there and a guy wearing a smock and a beret. And he had a little Van Dyke, a little goatee. And uh, he, he had a haunted look around the eye. And I'm just I'm actually telling you the, the, the truth, really the truth. I'm not inventing this. So uh, I used to spend a lot of time in that place. I'd like to watch the Marks come in there and test their love power on the love power machine. You, know, you put a dime in there and you grab the handles. And I'd watch these guys uh, grabbing the handles. You know, they with this fantastic bimbo. You know, a real great-looking chick. Looked like one of the Goodyear blimps, you know, with feet. You know, oh, wow. And uh, some little guy says, watch me. He grabs the handles. And it doesn't even go up. It doesn't register at all. And then the chick laughs. And, uh, you know, I'm so, this is the kind of entertainment you go for. Like a sailor's coming in and buying taffy apples, not just. So uh, I'm uh, I'm walking around in this place, and I'm I'm watching this guy over there wearing the green smock and the beret, and he's right next to the turtle tank, and uh, nothing's doing. He's just sitting there by his little desk and and uh, just watching the scene. He had high cheekbones, kind of a sad look in the eye, like a man of undetermined age. Uh, but a sort of harassed air about him. And then I see a couple of people come up, and they, they're talking turkey. They walk up to him, and I see there's a transaction going on. And he gets up, and he has a little net. And, uh, you know, these little nets you use in in, uh, in aquariums with a little uh, tea strainer type net on the end. And he starts fishing around in the aquarium, and he pulls out a turtle. And uh, he takes the turtle, and the turtle is fighting away in this little thing. And he puts it down on the desk, and it starts to run across the desk. And he grabs the turtle... And he shows it to the people. They're, they're looking at him. They, I see they're nodding their head. No, 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 no. So he takes the turtle and puts it back in the in the little aquarium. And uh, again goes the net out. And he's looking for another one. Well, he goes through about nine turtles. And each time these people would say, eh, you know, no. And they look in the tank again. And finally, uh, after a long discussion, he goes over to another tank, which was behind the desk and down low. And apparently this contained, uh, you know, virgin turtles. He reaches down. He whips out it. A turtle, and this is an unpainted turtle. <laughs> so he takes the turtle now. Get this, friends. I am witnessing this thing with great interest now. And after all, you know, when you're living in Times Square, as I say, you not only get used to any conceivable sight uh, that the human eye has ever seen, you get jaded. Uh, oh, you know, I've seen every kind of scene that you could possibly imagine. Uh, just living in Times Square. And I was always around at night. I was never there in the daytime. That's when I slept. And uh, during the night, uh, that was the only time they turned the heat on. See, it was in this hotel, it was always so damn cold at night that I'd spend my time walking in and out of H&H down there. It's, you know, keep warm. So, uh, nevertheless, you get so that you're used to every conceivable sight. But this one really stuck with me. Cause somehow, because it had all the drama, it had all the human 
the human uh, uh, the the tragedy of defeat and the and the and the uh, the exhilaration and ecstasy of of uh, the human creative spirit was all in this story. And uh, he reaches down, he takes out this little green turtle. It was about the size of a half dollar, and uh, he had a little clamp that he put him in. What held his feet steady, just like little—no, it didn't hurt him or anything. It was just like a little, uh, little uh, plastic thing that held his feet, just clunk like that. See, and he takes out his palate. He had a palate, uh, just like a real palate, you know, like like you see pictures of guys with a thumb hole and all that. See, he takes the palate out, and he's got this brush, and he begins to paint the turtle. Well, I walk over there, Sam. This, you know, I like to see an artist at work, and uh, he's he's painting the turtle. He's working away there, and he's looking up at this chick, see, this woman who is, uh, you know, who has been complaining about all the turtles with the pictures of the Statue of Liberty on the back and the, you know, this view of the panoramic view of the skyline of New York taken from the Jersey side. And uh, he's working away there, and I see what he's doing. He is doing, he's doing a portrait, a miniature portrait of this lady on the back of a turtle. Yeah, this is a kind of a nice touch. So he uh, he finished the portrait, just knocked it off in about ten minutes. It was a good job, see? And uh, he takes this little brush. He's got a little tiny camel's hair brush, and he says, Souvenir of Fun City, New York, on it. And uh, with that, he takes a spray can, and he sprays the back of the turtles. <laughs> Apparently, that makes it waterproof. <laughs> so he unhooks the turtle. The turtle starts running around on the desk now, and he's got a picture of this lady on the back now. It was a fair likeness, as a matter of fact. I mean, as good as you're going to find on the average turtle. And uh, he runs across the desk, and uh, he picks it up, and, and he's going to test to see whether the turtle, you know, is, is, is a working turtle. So he picks him up, and he drops him in the tank. He swims around like hell, you know, among all the other turtles. And uh, then I see them making their financial arrangements. They pay the artist, and uh, he puts the turtle in a little box with some, some look like sawdust or something in there, some little weeds and stuff. And uh, out they go with their turtle. Now, I don't know whether that turtle is uh, still walking around, although they say the turtles grow to enormous ages. Is that correct, Bill? So it's very possible this guy's work could last maybe 100 years or, you know, or more. And what's more, it's ambulatory, which is more than you can say for, say, a Jackson Pollock. Not many Jackson Pollocks walk around and procreate, uh, <laughs> although I don't imagine the painting is uh, hereditary. I don't imagine they produce, uh, you know, other pictures, see, on the back when they, you know, when the, a painted turtle makes the scene with another painted turtle, what do they get? A montage? But, uh, oh, that was terrible. So, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, this uh, turtle is walking around, and I'm fascinated by this, see. They go out, so there I am, you know, I stand around, and he sees me, and he thinks I'm a live one, see, because I'm standing there watching with a great deal of interest, because, you know, I do line drawings and stuff myself. I like to meet a fellow artist, so I said, uh, it's a very nice technique there. Says, I see you use the wet brush technique. Ah, yes, we, oui, monsieur. And I said, uh, very good. Uh, that was a nice likeness, as a matter of fact. Ah, uh, says, he's merci. And I could see right away he's a phony Frenchman. He's about as you know much Frenchman as much as I am. See, and finally I said to him, I says, look, I said, uh, you know, you don't have to keep up with the French accent. I'm a native here. Uh, you know, I'm one of the one of the walking around uh, deadbeats here in Times Square. So. You don't have to pull the act on me with the French accent. But uh, one thing I must say, you do. You did paint that painting on the back of the turtle there. He said, yeah, yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> right. Well, I could sense this. Uh, uh, you know, you can. You know, you know, when you're with somebody, you've been many times in a bar or someplace when you sense this, the soul in torment. Right. You've sensed that, and I said, well, "What's the matter?" You know, I said, "Yeah, that's a great turtle." Not everybody can paint the back of a turtle like that. And just like that, I hit him. You know, uh, you hit guys. You hit a, a nerve ending. I hit this, you know, this this sore tooth like that. And he says, "You're damn right." It's not everybody can do that. You're damn right. I said, "Well, I'm just making conversation." You know, so well, you're right. What do you mean making conversation? You're right. You're telling us. You're telling the truth. And not everybody can paint a turtle like that. Best damn turtle paint in the country. Well, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, you're on Broadway. You know, I'm sure that you must have worked your way up. You know, started in a place like uh, Olathe, Kansas, and worked your way up to Broadway. Not every turtle painter makes the big time like this. And he looked up at me. He says, are you putting me on? I says, no, I'm not. I'm not putting you on. So we stood there for about five seconds with uh, this kind of tension between us. And I finally said it. You know, I said, you know, I must say this. Those are the greatest paintings I've ever seen on the back of a turtle. They're really good. And they were. They were really good. You know, if you can paint a view of Broadway looking south on a turtle the size of maybe a quarter... That's no easy trick. No way, see? And he says, oh, them? You're talking about them. <laughs> Nothing. That's for the damn tourist trade. I said, what do you mean, the tourist trade? He says, you want to see some turtles? With that, he reaches down and he pulls a tank out from under his desk. He says, now these are turtles. And they were fantastic. I mean, I want to tell you, expressionistic... Uh, the one thing I, I would have to say about his turtle painting technique is that he used the entire oeuvre of the turtle in his real work. This was, every artist, by the way, uh, knows his real work from the work that they buy. They buy. That's why many artists, when they get more and more uh, successful, they renounce their previous work because that's, you know, that's the junk that they had to do to sell. And he says, look at this. And he reached down and he takes this turtle and this turtle is standing there in the middle of the middle of the table there on the green felt. And it was, have you ever seen a turtle? It was a moving turtle. I mean, a moving experience. You've read many uh, art critics that talk about a painting that, that is a moving experience. His use of the modular grays and uh, the, the subtle, the subtle, statement that was made and yet a statement that was highly ambiguous in its total content here was this turtle and I, I said that's, that's, that's just great she's damn right it's great you're looking at my latest work and my best work you don't see none of my turtles in the museum of modern art I said by God come to think of it I haven't seen any of your turtles in the museum of modern art and, of course, this was during the heyday of, uh, you know, all these guys that came out with the inflatable hamburgers and the guys that were making the plastic uh, gophers and, you know, remember the big uh, Campbell soup stuff? He says, these guys are working. Look at it. Look at all this pop art. This junk. So one day, the Museum of Modern Art is going to see my work, and I'm going to be right there. And what could I say to him, you know? 
I walked out on Broadway. And as far as I know, he never made it. I have never heard of a, of a show at the Museum of Modern Art of fantastic, expressionistic turtles that uh, make a statement about the world we live in. And what's more, a vital uh, ecological statement. These are, this is living art, truly living art. And uh, a couple of years later, his, his little case in the window disappeared, and I've never seen him again. He's never been there again. And so this is the, all the tragic uh, undertone to the great town and all the lights on Broadway. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I've never forgotten that turtle painter, you know? He says, by God, you know, he could have... Seriously, who's going to make... Who's going to say no? Who's going to say no? But his turtles are somewhere living. A hundred years they live. And maybe 75, 80 years from now, out of the weeds someplace, this fantastic turtle will crawl out with one of the great unsung works of the modern artist. And somebody will discover it. And he didn't even sign his work. Which is, by the way, the the uh, key hallmark of true genius. Never signed his work. His work is more important than he is. I mean, you'd, you'd recognize one of his works instantly. You don't have to sign. You don't think for a minute that the Botticelli had a right to Fred Botticelli on the bottom of every magnificent gold salt shaker he made. Oh, no. And uh, Da Vinci didn't write Da Vinci all over the, those nymphs and dryads and, and the angels and all that stuff on the ceiling there. No way. Michelangelo? Nah work stands for itself. Somewhere, probably hiding in a drain someplace is a magnificent work of unparalleled 20th century art. Yeah. This is WOR New York. Hey, don't listen. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. News in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. An estimated $400,000 worth of...